It's American Idiot time. Another episode of the American Idiot Podcast with your host, the one, the only, the American Idiot. So last week we had talked about the filibuster and the reconciliation. Uh, I might have talked about that the week before. A couple of weeks back I had talked about Boulder because it had just happened. I talked about Boulder, Colorado, uh, what happened there. I'm going to talk about it again today, and on top of that, I'm going to talk about some other important things that took place, some other shootings, some other, uh, I can't say shootings because one of them, it wasn't, other events that took place that have kind of made mainstream media news, but haven't made it, and there are certain things about them that haven't made it. You most likely have heard about what happened in D.C. with Muhammad Anwar. I don't know if you heard about uh, Orange, California, the shooting that took place there. But there are things that you didn't hear about both of them. But so first, I want to go over the Boulder shooting. Of course, uh, it came out that the shooter there, he was Muslim. He killed 10 people. Further study, I found out that all 10 victims there were white. That is something that I did by researching it myself. I did not hear it on the... Uh, news. I did not hear it on, I don't think I heard it on any of the podcasts that I listened to. That's something I found out from my own research. But I want to bring this up right here. This is from Newsweek.com. Twitter says, calling the Boulder shooter a white Christian terrorist is okay. And this is the main thing I want to focus on. A tweet describing Ahmad Al-Aliwi Alisa, the suspected gunman in Monday's Colorado Supermodel shooting as a white Christian terrorist, does not violate the social network's misinformation policies. How does that not violate it? They are so about misinformation. They got rid of Trump because of his misinformation. Uh, now they say that right now they're all focused on COVID-19, but they have taken down other people. They have taken down other things that have nothing to do with COVID-19. So Twitter told Newsweek some users have deleted their tweets calling him white. Others have defended their claims saying they were based on Elisa's skin color rather than his ethnicity. So Newsweek put the misleading post to Twitter. The social network has been accused of left-wing bias, as it has, and anti-Christian prejudice in the way it polices speech on its platform. For example, in January, Twitter locked the account of the Catholic Review apparently for tweeting an article that described Assistant Health and Human Services Secretary Rachel Levine as a biological man identifying as a transgender woman. So, they lost their Twitter for speaking the truth, because Rachel Levine is a biological man who thinks that he is a woman. That's the truth. He was born a man. I mean, even if he gets his dong-dong chopped off, he's still going to be a man. There is no changing that. The tweets referenced are not in violation of the Twitter rules, the spokesperson told Newsweek in an email. We will not take action on every instance of misinformation. Well, I mean, obviously, because 
You have things on there that are attacking Trump. You have things on there that are attacking conservatives that aren't the truth. You have stuff on there about Matthew Gates and how he supposedly uh, slept with or had done certain things with someone that was under the age that many of people are saying are not true. I haven't looked into it. I'm not going to... Point is, there is stuff on there that is false information about conservatives that they are allowing to stay up, just like Facebook, just like Instagram, just like all the major big tech media. Currently, our misinformation rules cover COVID-19 misinformation, synthetic and manipulated media, and civic integrity. Twitter's policies on synthetic and manipulated media include deep fake videos that are fabricated to make it seem as if people are doing or saying things that they didn't in reality. Its civic integrity policies forbid, for instance, false claims that the 2020 U.S. election was rigged. So, here are some things that are on there that obviously aren't true. A tweet by at 2012 is safe stated, a white Christian terrorist killed 10 innocent people with a gun in a grocery store. Now we'll get on to basically why they keep on calling him white. We'll get into that. But so, he's call him a Christian terrorist. Yes, he's a terrorist, but why do they call him Christian? Muslim, or the religion of Islam, has nothing to do with the religion of Christianity. They worship two completely separate gods. One that basically says, make people convert or kill them. One that says, try to make people convert, but don't force them to. Actress Rosanna Arquette wrote, call it what it is. White supremacist domestic terrorism. How is it white supremacist? This man was against Trump. He was a is ISIS uh, sympathizer. So how is it white supremacist? It was a white-looking man killing white people. Tamir Rice was a 12-year-old black child. Police shot him in 1.7 seconds and left him to suffer in agonizing pain for four minutes and die. Colorado terrorist is a grown white man who killed ten people, including a cop. Cops arrested him alive and helped him to a stretcher for immediate medical care. In an email, Rashid wrote, and this is uh, this is what uh, a person named, who is it? His last name is Rashid. So this is what Rashid wrote to Newsweek. The U.S. Census Bureau and law enforcement define Syrians as white. He then sent a link to the Census Bureau that defines the white race as a person having origins in any of the original peoples of Europe, the Middle East, or North Africa, more commonly known as MENA, M-E-N-A, Middle East, North Africa. So, that is part of the reason why they call him white. Now, if you ask him if he's white, he'll most likely tell you, no, I'm a Muslim, I'm Islam. I'm, an Islam, I'm a Muslim. I'm not white. But do they care about what he thinks? No. They'll call him white when it suits them. But if it was a conservative calling him white, I can guarantee you they'd be all up in arms. He's Muslim. He's not white. But let's continue. So based on that, Rashid refuted any suggestion that what he tweeted was disinformation. Michael Harriet, a senior writer at the Black News and Culture website The Root, wrote, pointing out how white suspects get the benefit of the doubt without being stopped Frisked, beaten, shot, or killed is not a call for harsh treatment. It simply means we know cops are capable of treating people humanely, just not us. And then he later on said, actually, 
This tweet was not referencing the Colorado shooter. I was not aware of the shooting when I tweeted this, and I don't even think he was captured. Harriet told Newsweek, but to the greater point, I think people aren't aware that Muslim is not a race. So they won't call him Muslim because that's not his race. But Muslim is a religion. So why didn't they call him the white Muslim terrorist? Because if you know, as you probably do if you're listening to this, the left are pushing Muslims as a peaceful religion, a religion of peace. Not a religion that has written in its uh, holy book that you are to convert people to Muslim, to be in Islam, or kill them. Convert them at the uh, end of a sword. Let's continue, shall we? So this is from Statista.com, and this is why I said we'd talk about him being called white. It starts off with, between 1982 and March 2021, 66 out of 121 mass shootings in the United States were carry out, carried out by white shooters. By comparison, the perpetrator was African American in 21 mass shootings, and Latino in 10. When calculated as percentages, this amounts to 54%, 17%, and 8% respectively. Broadly speaking, the racial distribution of mass shootings mirrors the racial distribution of the U.S. population as a whole. While a superficial comparison of these statistics seems to suggest African-American shooters are overrepresented and Latino shooters underrepresented. The fact that the shooter's race is unclear in around 5% of the cases, along with the different time frames over which these statistics are calculated, means no such conclusion should be drawn. Notice that. While a superficial comparison of the statistic seems to suggest African-American shooters are overrepresented and Latino shooters are underrepresented, the fact that the shooter's race is unclear in around 5% of cases, along with the different time frames over which these statistics are calculated, means no such conclusion should be drawn. Conversely, looking at the mass shootings in the United States by gender, clearly demonstrates that the majority of mass shootings are carried out by men. Anybody, nobody's going to argue with me there, but I'm going to focus on how the fact that the shooter's race is unclear in around 5% of cases, and the fact that these statistics were taken from at different time frames and calculated at different time frames, a conclusion should not be drawn on it. This is the fact that how people are, the mainstream media and others are talking about how most mass shooters are white people. Thus, why people were talking about white supremacist domestic terrorism. White Christian terrorists killed 10 innocent people. Now, what I didn't put in here, and I don't remember where I found it, is that back during uh, the 1800s, 1870 to be exactly, the 1870 Naturalization Act at that point, basically said that only white and black people could be na become naturalized citizens. So, according to that, and through several lower court decisions, it came out that MENA, Middle Eastern and North African people, would be considered white. There was one case where the person was uh, wanting to be considered white, and the judge said that he could not do so because... His skin was too dark to be considered white. That's the only case where that happened. Most others basically pushed it to where in the 1870 Naturalization Act, 
that MENA, Middle Eastern North African people coming from there, were considered whites. And this is this is where I got it from. The Washington Post.com. Boulder shooting counter or count white male violence depends how you define white. So, despite his religious and ancestral backgrounds in the United States, Elisa legally is a white man. This classification is no oversight. Throughout the 20th century, legal battles and federal policies determined that under U.S. law, Middle Easterners are classified as white. The Naturalization Act of 1870 deemed only white or black immigrants eligible for naturalization as citizens. From 1909 to 1944, 10 naturalization cases involved petitions from the MENA region. In seven of the ten federal court, in seven of the ten federal court judges ruled that MENA individuals were white. For instance, in 1909, Syrian Christian immigrant Costa Najur petitioned a Georgia district court claiming whiteness. The judge invoked contemporary scientific evidence which classified those from Syria as racially Caucasian. The judge wrote that such scientific racial classification superseded physical characteristics in determining white status and ruled that Najur was white. However, in a 1913 case, a South Carolina judge denied white status to Syrian immigrant Faraz Shahid. The judge reasoned that Shahid was the color of walnut or somewhat darker than is the usual mulatto of one-half mixed blood between the white and Negro races. The judge argued that it would be unreasonable to say someone was white based upon scientific race, as was the rationale in Najur's case. If that person did not look white, in this case, the judge argued that ruling the petitioner as white would not be a reasonable application of the Naturalization Act of 1870 in the way Congress intended. <coughs> not just inconsistent court rulings, but also region religion complicates the U.S. racial status of MENA-born or descended individuals. Most of the, of the earliest MENA petitioners were Christian. Their lawyers use their Christianity as part of the rationale for why they should be considered white. Perceiving Islam as a racial or ethnic marker may seem like a 21st century construct, particularly after 9-11, but it was already there in the 1942 decision in In Re Ahmed Hassan. So basically all of that is saying that because most of the MENA people that came here earlier on in our nation's history were Christians, their lawyers basically pushed for them to be considered white because of their Christian religion. And that later on, they didn't change it once more of them be, uh, were actually uh, believers in Islam. As news coverage revealed that the Boulder shooting suspect is a Syrian Muslim, some observers like Harris issued retractions for assuming he was white. Others insisted that the fact that he was taken into custody alive classifies him as a white man. Still, others declare that being Muslim is not a race or an ethnicity, but a religion. So, calling him a white Christian terrorist is misreligioning him. He would be a white Muslim terrorist. But since he would not want to be called white because he is Muslim, he would want to be called just a Muslim terrorist. declare that being Muslim is not a race or an ethnicity, but a religion. Despite legal classifications by the state, Alisa is not universally perceived as white. So even by that, Alisa is not universally perceived as white, they should not have called him a white Christian terrorist. 
And they're not even taking into account how Elisa feels. I mean, we are sitting here and we are supposed to be taking into consideration that the transgender people, that they feel like they're a woman or they feel like they're a man. He If he doesn't feel white, we shouldn't be calling him white. We should be calling him what he feels. So now, I want to go back to talking about the Atlanta shooting. Uh, the shooter was Robert Aaron Long. He was 21. I'm going to go into this, some stuff that has to do with that. This is from the New York Times, Atlanta spot shooting. So, first off, we need to notice that Robert Aaron Long had been a customer at two of the Atlanta spas that were targeted. The city's deputy police chief said he had previously sought treatment for sex addiction. One of his former roommates at a half house said. And then Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms of Atlanta said, No matter what Mr. Long's motive was, the city wanted to provide resources and protection to Asian... Oh, can't scratch that. So, the city wanted to provide resources and protection to Asian communities in the aftermath of the shootings. Police departments in several American cities, including New York, Seattle, Houston, and San Francisco, moved this week to increase patrols amid a rise in hate crimes. So, all of this, basically, Mayor Lance Bottoms said no matter what the Mr. Long's motives were, that they wanted to set up places, set up things to help the Asian community. Now, look at that last part. Police departments in several American cities, including New York, Seattle, Houston, and San Francisco, moved this week to increase patrols amid a rise in hate crimes targeting Asian people. Now, yes, there is a trend of Asian hate crimes, but they cannot lump this, the Atlanta shooting, into it. And you might be thinking, why? Let's go on. We need to read this first, though. Nearly 3,800 hate incidents targeting Asian Americans have been reported nationwide since last March. Stop AAPI hate said in a report this week, while the authorities continue to investigate the shootings, there is still an outstanding amount of information that remains unknown, including a clear motive. How can they call it a hate crime? How can they lump it in with hate crimes if the authorities continue the investigation and there is still an outstanding amount of information that remains unknown, including a clear motive? They're already trying to lump this in with Asian hate crimes. And they are trying to do that by leaving out that two of the eight that were killed one was a Hispanic man, and one was a white woman. Why are they focusing on the Asian people that were killed? Because it goes with the previous narrative, that white supremacists are attacking Asians, although it is more often black people that are attacking the Asians. Let's continue. The police said they did not believe that there was a racial motive for the shootings, but had not ruled it out. So they're already trying to call it a hate crime, although the police have said they believe that there was no racial motive for the shooting, but had not ruled it out. So because it hasn't been ruled out, they're trying to call it a hate crime. Neither Georgia nor the Federal Department of Justice have said whether they will seek hate crime charges against the suspect. So they haven't ruled it out, but they said they don't believe it's there. But they might try to seek hate crime charges against a suspect. 
Does that make any sense to you? Now let's talk about Robert Aaron Long. This is from CNN.com. Robert Aaron Long, suspected shooter. Sheriff Frank Reynolds of Cherokee County, where the Ackworth shootings took place, told reporters Long made indicators that he has some issues, potentially sexual addiction, and may have frequented some of these places in the past. Okay. So, this is Sheriff Frank Reynolds of Cherokee County, where some of the shootings took place. And he said, Long, these, basically, this is his paraphrasing of what the shooter told him. Long made indicators that he has some issues, potentially sexual addiction, and may have frequented some of these places in the past. And of course, right away, the mayor went to, we're not going to, we're not going to, uh, to uh, victim shame. We're not going to victim blame. We're not going to victim shame. He's not even trying to victim blame in here. He is saying that the gunman, in uncertain terms, told him that he had a potential sex addiction and that he had frequented these places in the past. A law enforcement source said the suspect was recently kicked out of the house by his family due to his sexual addiction, which the source said included frequently spending hours on end watching pornography online. So, Sheriff Frank Reynolds says that he made indicators that he has some issues, potentially sexual addiction, and may have frequented some of these places in the past. Law enforcement then said that the suspect had been kicked out of his house by his family due to sexual addiction, which included hours of endless watching of pornography. Now they talk to one of the guys, uh, one of uh, Long's former roommates. Tyler Bayless said he ch shared a housing unit with Long at Magri Maverick Recovery, a rehab facility in Roswell, Georgia, between August 19 and January or February of 2020. Bayless said that on multiple occasions during his stay at the facility, Long told him that he had relapsed and gone to massage parlors explicitly to engage in sex acts. So... A sheriff says that the gunman made indicators that he had some issues, potentially sexual addiction, frequented these places. Law enforcement says that suspect had been recently kicked out of his house by his family due to sexual addiction, including hours of watching porn. His old roommate then says that Long told him that he had relapsed and gone to massage parlors explicitly to engage in sex acts. I think it's safe to say that the reason that he shot these places up was because of his sexual addiction and that he saw these places as a temptation. Now look at this. This is exactly what Long told the police. Long told police the shootings were not racially motivated, according to Baker, which that is Sheriff according to Baker of the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office. So that is Sheriff Baker. Baker also referenced Long's sex addiction, saying that Long sees the sauce as a temptation that he wanted to eliminate. According to two law enforcement sources involved in the investigation, Long attempted to justify his actions when he told police he thought about killing himself, but decided instead to help others with sexual addictions by targeting spas. So, I'm pretty sure I'm no police officer. I'm pretty sure I'm not even a, a 
court judge or a court attorney or a district attorney. I'm not a detective. But I'm pretty sure I can straight up tell you this. One, Robert Aaron Long was a sexual addict. Two, he had been going through rehab and he had slipped up and gone to the places that he shot up to satiate that sexual addiction. Because of that and because of his guilt in having given into that temptation, he decided that he was going to eradicate that temptation. He decided he was going to, he thought about killing himself, but then he further decided it would help others that were sexual addicts like him by, instead of killing himself, eradicating these two temptations, quote-unquote temptations. Neither Georgia nor the Federal Department of Justice have said whether they will seek hate crime charges against the suspect. He made indicators that he has some issues, potentially sexual addiction. Law enforcement source said the suspect was recently kicked out uh, due to sexual addiction, including frequently spending hours on end watching porn. Roommate said that Long told him that he had relapsed and gone to massage parlors explicitly to engage in sex acts. Long told police the shootings were not racially motivated. The fact that the shooter is telling you they were not racially motivated should be enough for them to not seek the hate crimes. But, because he's white, and they want to push that all mass shootings are done by white men, they are trying to make this a hate crime. Now, I already talked about Statista, and basically showing that 66 out of the 121 mass shootings that took place between 1982 and 2021, they, uh, 66 were carried out by white shooters. So, 1982, 2021, 66 out of 121 mass shootings were carried out by white shooters. By comparison, African-American was 21 mass shootings, Latino was 10. When calculated as percentages, this amounts to 54%, 17%, and 8% respectively. Broadly speaking, the racial distribution of mass shootings mirrors the racial distribution of of the U.S. population as a whole. So basically what that's saying is that the layout of the 121 mass shootings that took place between 82 and 2021, the layout of who the shooter, of who the perpetrator was, fits with the racial distribution of the U.S. population. So what does that mean? That means that MSM and anyone else that is saying that all mass shootings are uh, perpetrated by white men, that they are wrong. Two, if they had say that most of them are white, they would be correct, but that doesn't show that white men are more dangerous. That shows the layout of the population of the U.S. You have more whites than you do blacks. You have more black whites and blacks than you do Latinos. You can even think back to, um, what, the uh, West Virginia Tech, where it was an Asian American who killed people there. 
you have less Asian Americans than you do white, black, or Latino. So you have less mass murderers that are Asian American. It makes sense. Racial distribution of the U.S. population as a whole. It makes perfect sense to me, obviously not to liberals. But, I want to go and make a comparison, okay? So, just because most mass shootings are perpetrated by white men, makes it okay for them to say that all mass, um, mass shootings are done by white men. The same should be true about serial killers, right? If the most prolific serial killer is of a certain race, that should mean that all other prolific serial killers would be of the same race, correct? Now, you might be thinking of John Wayne Gacy, Richard Ramirez, uh, Dennis Rader, Ed Gein, Timothy McVeigh, stuff like that. But who is the most prolific American serial killer? Have you heard of a man named Samuel Little? If you haven't, let me enlighten you. One, he is African American. Samuel Little has confessed to 93 murders, and FBI crime analysis believe all of his confessions are credible. Law enforcement has been able to verify 50 confessions with many more pending final confirmations. So the most prolific American killer is black. So, if that is the most prolific American serial killer, every other American serial killer should be of the same race. If you follow the literal or the uh, liberal line of thinking pertaining to mass shootings. Little says he strangled his 93 victims between 70 and 2005. Many of his victims' deaths, however, were originally ruled overdoses or attributed to accidental or undetermined causes. Some bodies were never found. For many years, Samuel Little believed he would not be caught because he thought no one was accounting for his victims. Even though he is already in prison, the FBI believes it is important to seek justice for each victim. Who do you think his victims were? They weren't white women. All 93 were African American. That should tell you something about supposed systemic racism and the fact that the worst problem to the black community is a white man. Because 93 African American women were killed by one black man. The biggest problem to the African American community is the African American on African American crime. But what do I know? I'm just a white idiot. The FBI is asking for the public's help in matching the remaining unconfirmed confessions. VICAP, with the support of the Texas Rangers, has provided additional information and details about five cases and hopes that someone may remember a detail that could further the investigation. So, he killed 93. The FBI has 48 unmatched confessions that they strongly believe are actual 
murder confessions. Because of how little spoke about them, and because of obviously there is something that makes them believe it. So, if the liberal line of thinking about mass shootings and that all mass shootings are perpetrated by white men were to be correct, it would have to be the same for serial killers. But it's not. Why? Because we already know that the most, the most known killers are Richard Ramirez, who was Hispanic. Dennis Schrader, white. John Wayne Gacy, white. Ed Gein, white. Jeffrey Dahmer, white. Therefore, anyone that is trying to tell you that all mass shootings are perpetrated by white men are taking part in a uh, fallacy, an argument by fallacy. Not just because the thesis says that most of them are portrayed by white men, and then the next most are black men, and then after the black is Latinos, but because the racial distribution in the uh, states, you have more whites than blacks, more blacks than Latinos. And the amount of white mass shooters compared to the amount of black shooters to the amount of Latino shooters follows the racial distribution in the states. But so, like I'd said, I want to talk about two other cases that you might not have heard about. And I want to bring talk about them for a important reason. So, like I'd said, you might have heard about Muhammad Anwar in Washington, D.C. Now, this case gets me extremely upset, so I'm going to try to keep myself calm. But there will be points where you can hear me getting aggravated because of certain things that have been talked about, certain things that haven't been talked about. So, of course, Muhammad Anwar was an Uber Eats driver in Washington, D.C. A 13- and a 15-year-old little girl tried stealing his car. He, would not, he, was not letting, he was not letting them do it. So, one of them, from the passenger seat, turned on the key in the ignition, put it into drive, and drove off in it, pulling him along. They ran into, I believe, a building or into something, throwing him off of the door. They were dragging him because he was holding onto the door. It threw him off, basically breaking his bones and causing him severe head trauma. He would later die in the hospital. That, that's just that's some background for that. This is from News1.com. Teen girls arrested in fatal carjacking plea deal. After a viral video showed an innocent man losing his life during a carjacking, the two teenage girls involved might be getting off easier than expected, much to the chagrin of social media. As previously reported, Mohammed Anwar, a 66-year-old immigrant from Pakistan, Give me a minute. I missed a piece. Living in Washington, D.C., died when two teens, aged 13 and 15, tried to pilfer his vehicle in a carjacking. Now, 
that's most likely what you've heard about this case. You might have heard about that they ta- that they were tra- that they were tasing him. You might have heard later on about after they crashed the car that and after National Guards members and I believe a police officer had apprehended them that one of them was trying to get back in the car saying my phone's in there because she was more concerned about her stupid phone than she was for the poor man that she had just murdered. And more, she cared more about her phone than the family that he was the sole supporter of. But, let's continue. Viral video of the incident showed the girls target the driver and attempt to drive away, even as Anwar continued to hang on to the front door. The girls ended up crashing the car, and Anwar was fatally wounded. Following the incident, a judge decided to charge the girls with carjacking, armed robbery, and felony murder, something we previously covered that was widely debated on Twitter. The Post added that the girls are due back in court on April 20th to discuss the status of the case with Judge Lynn Leibovitz. Social media is already heating up with takes on the suspects possibly getting plea deals, and people are displeased, in particularly, in particular, several are dim-wittedly blaming the Black Lives Matter movement for the alleged leniency from the prosecution and citing it as black privilege. You know, it'd be kind of funny that they're bringing that up if the girls weren't black. And of course, if you've seen the video, you can tell that the, the girls are black. Even if you haven't seen the video, the fact that they bring this up about Dimity blaming Black Lives Matter and the alleged leniency for the from the prosecution as citing it as black privilege. That should tell you something about their race. That's all I really want to say about that. Actually, no, that's not all I want to say about that. <coughs> the fact that George Floyd, who tried using a counterfeit 20 to get stuff, who was then given at least two options by the person that he gave the, 20, the uh, counterfeit 22 to make it right, and he decided not to, who was jumped up on lethal doses of fentanyl, who had a heart problem, had it not been for the video of him being cut and put together to make it look like it was Derek Chauvin's fault, this wouldn't wouldn't be a problem. But because George Floyd happened, because it was a white cop that they made it look like killed him, Because of that, the Black Lives Matter movement came back with a vengeance, destroyed major cities, causing over $2 billion of damage in those major cities over the summer. So if there is any leniency, if there is any leniency, it could be because the girls are young and black. Or it could be because they're black. The 13-year-old under D.C. law basically will be done as a juvenile, but the 15-year-old could be tried as an adult.
So this is from uh, people.com. So, talking uh, of Anwar, of that the day that the crash act happened, uh, the two girls allegedly tried to flee the scene but were caught by police officers and a member of the National Guard who was in the area. Anwar was rushed to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead. The same day, the 13-year-old who is from D.C. and the 15-year-old from Washington, Maryland, Fort Washington, Maryland, were arrested and charged with felony murder and armed carjacking. Taser. Focus on that word. Taser. Say police. On Wednesday, the girls made their first appearance in D.C. Superior Court via video and pleaded not involved, which means not guilty in juvenile court, the Post reports. At one point during the alleged carjacking, a detective testified that Anwar had gotten out of the car after an apparent struggle, the Post reports. When he tried to get back in, the 13-year-old girl allegedly turned on the ignition from the passenger seat and manipulated the gear shift, the detective testified. The car lurched forward, dragging Anwar, who was hanging outside the car, through the open driver's side door, the detective testified. That's when the car crashed and flipped, leaving Anwar with a head injury and broken bones. It is unclear whether the suspects have retained attorneys who can compliment on their behalf, or comment on their behalf. They remain in custody until their next court appearance. So, there's that. Here's another one I want to bring up. So this is the uh, criminal defense attorney that is talking. A criminal defense attorney in D.C. claimed juveniles are treated differently in the system under the presumption they can be rehabilitated in ways an adult may not be. In this case, there was no firearm. Criminal defense attorney Nikki Lote said it was a stun gun, so that's one of the considerations. So if they're being considered juveniles because they used a taser instead of a real gun, would it change that if the fact that D.C. has some of the strictest gun laws, which would have made it impossible for these little girls to have an actual gun. So they used the closest that they could to having an actual, a real gun. Would that change it? If, if D.C. did not have gun laws, which I don't think they should, and these girls had had a gun and they had shot this man, would they still be considered, or would they still be tried as juveniles, or would that have been able to push it up to where they could be tried as adults? Because these girls are old enough to know that stealing a person's car, physically assaulting him, and ultimately killing him by your decisions are things that people don't do. That's why I think all Black Lives Matter plays into it. Because the fact that George Floyd's case is going on, and everybody knows that if uh, Derek Shelvin is called not guilty that there are going to be riots, most likely everyone else is going to be sitting here looking at these two girls and knowing that anything that they do that it upsets BLM is going to cause riots. But still, the fake case that there was no firearm is a consideration. I don't think it should matter. And I know that's just me. And this may not, may, may not make a lot of sense, but that's just me. They knew that what they were doing was wrong. They knew that stealing someone's car was wrong. They still chose to do it anyways. 
I'm sorry, by the time that I was eight, I knew that taking my parents' car was wrong. And the one time that I tried doing it, the only reason I stopped was because I was worried that I didn't know how to drive. And then my parents would ultimately find out when I wrecked the car. If I at eight knew that stealing a car was wrong, these girls at 13 and 15 knew that stealing a car was wrong. Nobody needed to tell them that stealing a car was wrong. But they did it anyways. And in the process of it, they tased an older gentleman who was trying to provide for his family. And then ultimately, because they could not get him out of the car, killed him. Additionally, the chief of the D.C. Police Department claimed trying the girls as adults would not fall under the city's current guidelines. And you know, if that's the case, okay. All well and good. But there's been other cases in other states where people have been 13 and 15 that they did something that they would have known was wrong and they were tried as adults for it. Obviously, it is a tragic case and charging, charging this person as an adult does not bring back the lost loved ones in this case. Chief Robert Conti said, The youth involved are presented to court and the decisions are made based upon District of Columbia guidelines. I think the question now is, the guidelines that we have in place specifically when talking about carjacking, is it sufficient for our community? That's a very good question to ask. But let me go one further. Charging this person as an adult does not bring back the lost loved ones in this case. That's correct. But if charging them as, as an adult... If that would give them a harsher sentence that might give them the chance to be rehabilitated, would not would that not justify that? If they're going to get a harder sentence being tried as adults and they want to actually rehabilitate these girls, wouldn't giving them that harder sentence maybe shock them into the real world that, hey, you commit a crime, you're going to pay for it? than maybe them just getting a little slap on the wrist or getting a little bit of time. And even on top of that, the fact that most people on a first offense get paroled out of jail very early on in their sentence, even if they got a 20-year sentence, the first time that they're up for parole, they would most likely get paroled. So they're not going to spend that long in jail anyways. So, in the meantime, both girls await the potential plea deal. The 15-year-old has yet to see if she will be tried as an adult. So, there's that. The whole reason I wanted to bring that up is because of the fact that it took me several days of searching to find anything that in any way, in any way, even hinted at them being black. I saw the video and I could see that they were black. But I had to try for several days to find something that hinted at them even being black. Why would that be? Why would they want to avoid calling these girls black or even insinuating that they were black? I don't know. I know why I think it is. And it's because that they are trying to uh, show that the blacks are victims. And this does not make them victims. But it still kind of throws everything out of whack, because normally it's the left having to defend a Middle Easterner or a person that is of the Muslim faith. But now here they're having to report on two black girls that killed a man that was of the Muslim faith. So they have would have a hard time deciding which side, 
which side to go on. But so, let me now bring up the Orange, California shooting. And not Orange County. It took place in Orange County, but it actually took place in Orange, the city of Orange, California, which is by Los Angeles. So, this killing marked at least tw the 20th mass shooting since the attacks at Atlanta area spas two weeks ago. I mean, I could do a whole, I could do a whole podcast episode on that little phrase. Because you know what? They count three or four mass shootings in the Chicago area as uh, 20, as uh, the three or four of those 20 mass shootings. Chicago is one of the most deadly major cities, normally having in the 700s for homicides in a single year with having strict gun gun laws. But we're just going to avoid that for now. Although investigations are still underway, police have begun to uncover what happened behind the locked gates of the courtyard where the doors into the suites are, as well as what led up to the horrific violence. Police identified the suspect as Aminadab Gaziola Gonzalez, 44, of Fullerton, California. He is at a local, local hospital in critical but stable condition, Ahmad said. And that's Jennifer Amat, who is the police chief of Orange, I believe. But notice that. So here, you have one of the few Latino mass shooters. And look what happened to him. He is at a local hospital in critical but stable condition. I thought it was only the whites, the white shooters that the police took into custody. Yet you had Al-Aliwi uh, Alisa that was taken into custody. You had Aminadab Gonzalez taken into custody. And you had Robert Aaron Long taken into custody. Funnily enough, just putting that out there, obviously that shows that there is not systematic racism among the police because in three different states in different parts of the country of different political backgrounds three shooters who were of three different races were taken into custody it's so funny, it completely just breaks the narrative of the systematic racism in the police. Who would have known? The preliminary motive is believed to be related to a business and personal relationship which existed between the suspect and all of the victims. Orange Police Department spokesperson, Lieutenant Jennifer Amott, said in a news conference. So she's actually the Orange Police Department spokesperson conference Thursday. A preliminary investigation by law enforcement officials concluded the suspect used a legally purchased firearm. Why have they made sure to point out in all of these that all of the guns were legally purchased firearms? You know, it's really hard for me to figure that one out, guys. I mean, I mean, me being a conservative idiot and all, 
I mean, I'm kind of an idiot, but I'm pretty sure the reason that they keep on harping on legally purchased firearms is because they are trying to make the argument between the lines that if guns were illegal, these people wouldn't have actually had the guns. And I mean, I know being a conservative idiot and all, that that possibly can't be the case because criminals don't obey laws at all. That's why they're called criminals. Now, I get upset with this this shooting as well because of some of the people that were killed in it. So, as I said, the shooter was Aminadab Gaciola Gonzalez, who is Latino. So, Amat noted the one surviving victim was in stable condition, so he killed... I'm in the wrong one. He killed, I believe, five people. He killed five people in his shooting, and one survived. Oh, my stars, I'm getting confused. The suspect who police say killed four people, including a nine-year-old boy at an Orange, California business complex, Wendy, had professional and personal relationships with the victims, police said. The preliminary, preliminary motive is believed to be related to a business and personal relationship which existed between the suspect and all of the victims. Amat did not identify the victims, saying the notifications of next of kin had not been completed. Among the dead were two women, a man, and a nine-year-old boy. The boy who was found in the complex courtyard is believed to be the son of one of the victims who worked at the business. Ahmad said later Thursday investigators were working to confirm the relationship between the boy and any of the people at the scene. So he was the son of one of the victims. He's the son of the one that survived. Her father and her son, and I believe also her sister, were all killed in this shooting. So she lost her father, she lost her sister, and she lost her son. It's either that it was her sister or that she lost her son and her daughter. So the gates to the complex were locked from the inside. There were initially five calls to 911, Ahmad said, with the first coming in at 534. When officers arrived two minutes later, Ahmad said shots were actively being fired inside the business complex. The officers were at first unable to enter the building's courtyards because its gates on both the north and south sides had been locked from the inside, Ahmad said. Using a bicycle-type cable lock, two officers engaged the suspect. She said an officer, she said an officer-involved shooting occurred. Police were then able to enter the courtyard and found the suspect who was injured and took him into custody. Police had earlier said it was unclear whether his injury was self-inflicted. In the courtyard, police also found the boy and the adult woman who survived. It appeared that a little boy died in his mother's arms, and she was trying as she was trying to save him during this horrific massacre. 
uh, Orange County District Attorney Todd Spitzer said at Thursday's news conference, though he later added the exact nature of their relationship was still under investigation. Officers found three other victims elsewhere in the complex, Ahmad said. One woman was upstairs on an outdoor landing. A man was found inside one of the office buildings, and another woman was found in a separate office building. The suites where some victims were found belongs to a business identified as Unified Homes, Ahmad said, a real estate business specializing in mobile homes. Investigators recovered a semi-automatic handgun and a backpack containing pepper spray, handcuffs, and ammunition, which authorities believe belonged to the suspect. So Orange is about 30 miles south of Los Angeles. The complex where the shooting occurred houses multiple businesses, including Farmers Insurance Co., Calco Finance, and Miller Counseling. So Paul Tovar told CNN affiliates near the scene that he hadn't heard from his brother or his niece, both of whom were in the building. I'm just trying to find out his well-being, Tovar said. He's not answering his phone. Neither is my niece. I'm pretty scared and worried. I wish I knew more. Tovar told CNN later Thursday morning he still had no news of his brother or his niece. The FBI's Los Angeles Division confirmed to CNN it had responded to the shooting as a matter of routine, but the Orange Police Department is the lead investigative agency. I can tell you that we haven't had an incident like this in the city of Orange since 1997. It's just such a tragedy for the victims, their families, our community, and our police department. News of the mass shooting drew immediate condemnation. Horrifying and heartbreaking, our hearts are with the families impacted by this terrible tragedy tonight. Newsom said in a tweet, the glorious and so loving Gavin Newsom, who is on recall and who should lose it, thank the Lord God Almighty. Rep. Katie Porter, a California Democrat who represents Orange County, said she and her staff are monitoring the situation. How about instead of monitoring the situation, you actually do something, you know, and put into effect certain laws, like what Senator Grassley and Senator Cruz are trying to do. Instead of trying, instead of keeping guns out of lawful, law-abiding citizens' hands. I'm deeply saddened by reports of a mass shooting in Orange County, and I'm continuing to keep victims and their loved ones in my thoughts as we continue to learn more. Now, why do you think, if you hadn't heard of the Orange, California shooting, why do you think you hadn't heard of it? Because it doesn't play into the narrative that all mass shooters are white people. And unlike Al-Aliwi Alisa, you can tell that this man is Hispanic. He is not the white that Al-Aliwi Alisa and Robert Aaron Long are. So you didn't hear about it if you had if you hadn't if you'd heard of it. If you haven't heard of it, you didn't hear of it because it doesn't fit in with the narrative that they're trying to push that white supremacists and white supremacy are the main reason of mass shootings. And that's why I wanted to bring those up. The fact that in both cases, the murderers were not white. And one that was being pushed, they would not come out and straight say that the two little girls were black. 
I still have not found anywhere, not even uh, OANN, Fox News, or anywhere else, that they actually say that the girls were black. They say that they're minors, but that does not give them a reason to ignore saying that they're black. When, right off the bat, with Robert Aaron Long, they came out and they straight up said that the gunman was white. They, they are trying to push and play this into the identity politics, into the critical race theory, that it's, it's white mass shooters that are causing uh, the blacks to not be able to gain power. We have to point out the white mass shooters to give black people power. Really, that's all I wanted to bring up here. Uh, I don't think I have anything else to bring up right now. Um, if I think of something, I'll put it on as an addendum to this episode. Remember, guys, remember, I have an email now. TheAmericanIdiotP at Yahoo.com. I'm on TikTok. Uh, the, or I'm uh, AIP Rebel or The AIP Rebel. And I actually have made some TikToks pertaining to uh, this with Aliwi uh, Alisa and being considered white, uh, having to do with a comparison of the Atlanta shooting and the Boulder shooting. Um, I will try to get caught up on uh, the actual current events. Uh, next week's episode, or on a couple of episodes next week. I just wanted to focus on this. Yeah, that's all I've got for you right now, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Like I said, get in touch with me. Let me know anything you want me to talk about. If you actually listen to this, email me. Let me know your name so I can add you on Facebook, on Instagram. If you have a TikTok, let me know so I can follow you there. Let me know so I can actually get a hold of you guys and actually interact with you. I'm going to try to get, like I said, I'm going to try to get Ray Harris Jr. I have some other people from TikTok that I've ran into that I'd really like to have on. Because I know y'all get tired of listening to me just talk. I can be boring. I know that. I'm sorry. I just appreciate you listening in and continuing to come back and listen, even though I'm a boring, droll person. But until next time, guys, this is the American Idiot signing out. So, like I told you, there was something that I wanted to bring up that I'd forgotten about, and I remembered what that was without needing a rememberal. If you're a Harry Potter fan, you know what I mean. So, Joe Biden had talked about uh, using his executive orders to basically repeal or get rid of the Second Amendment. Now, you're going to hear a lot of beeping and like, dirt because I took this off of one of Dan Bongino's uh, episodes. So if you hear him talking at the end, that's why. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play it now. Nothing, nothing I'm about to recommend in any way impinges on the Second Amendment. They're phony arguments suggesting that these are Second Amendment rights at stake from what we're talking about. But no amendment, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. You can't yell crowd, you can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater. We call it freedom of speech. In the very beginning, you couldn't own any weapon you wanted to own. In the very beginning of the Second Amendment existed, certain people weren't allowed to have weapons. So the idea 
is just bizarre to suggest that some of the things we're recommending are contrary to the Constitution. We want to treat pistols modified with stabilizing braces with the seriousness they deserve. A stabilizing brace with a pencil essentially makes that pistol a hell of a lot more accurate than a mini rifle. As a result, it's more lethal, effectively turning into a short barreled rifle. Most people don't know it. You walk into a store and you buy a gun, you have a background check. But you go to a gun show, you can buy whatever you want and no background check. But what about peace? The only industry in America, a billion dollar industry, that can't be sued, has exempt from being sued, are gun manufacturers. <laughs> so like I said, every time that there was a that was basically Dan and his uh, his producer or his buddy Joe telling you that what Joe just said was a lie. So I'm going to go back through that and I'm going to try to play the two major things for me that were the major problem. <laughs> you can buy whatever you want and no background check. But what about peace? The only industry in America, a billion dollar industry, that can't be sued, has exempt from being sued, are gun manufacturers. <coughs> Excuse me. So the main thing that I want to hit on there is the habitual lie <coughs> of them saying that if you go to a gun show, that you do not have to pass a background check. That is completely incorrect. If you buy a firearm <coughs> or a gun from anywhere that is an actual seller of guns, you have to go through a background check. The only way that you can get a hold of a gun that you do not have to do a background check for is if you get like your, your father's hand-me-down gun or if you pass a gun off to like your son or something like that. For instance, when my grandpa died, my grandma gave my dad his old 22 revolver. He didn't have to do a background check because my grandfather was the owner and he was giving it to his son. So basically, my grandfather gave his property to my son or to my father. So no background check needed there. Now, why are they pushing so hard that they want to have everything have a background check? Why are they pushing that even if you basically are selling your best friend your pistol that they have that uh, you have to have a background check? Because they want a list of where all the guns are so that when they decided that they want to become the totalitarian government that they're trying to be, they have a list of where every single person that has a gun lives. Because right now, if they were to do it, and for instance, my dad has my uncle, my my grandpa's gun, my grandfather's gun. If my grandfather was alive and they came and they said, uh, "Yes, sir, we're here to collect your your uh, gun," my grandfather could go, "What gun, sir? What are you talking about?" We're here to collect your 22 revolver. Oh, oh, I gave that to my son. 
And then when they go to my dad, um, yes, sir, we're here to collect that 22 revolver that your father gave you. Oh, oh, I don't have that anymore. I give it to my friend. There is no list of who had the gun, who bought the gun, who now owns the gun. That is the only way through basically personal selling or giving it to a family member that you do not have to do a background check. That is why they are wanting to push those universal background checks so hard so that they have a list of who all has guns so that when they want to, they can confiscate those guns and become the totalitarian dictatorship that was Russia, that was Germany, that was Italy, that is China, that it seems Russia is becoming... So there's that. Uh, there's the other one that I want to... There's the other portion. And he talks about how no right or no amendment is absolute. And he makes the argument of you can't yell fire in a movie theater. <coughs> and that your freedom of speech doesn't cover that. Again, that is wholly incorrect. Because if you yell fire in a movie theater, you are allowed to do that. The only time a person's freedom of speech can be infringed upon is if there is malicious intent behind it. So, for instance, if, uh, if me and my wife are walking down the, are walking down the street and... She looks over and she sees a guy that, for some reason, she doesn't like. And she says, that guy tried raping me. Obviously knows if the guy tried raping me, or if the guy tried raping her, I'm going to become upset because she's my wife. And someone tried doing something to my wife that they're not allowed to do. So she already knows that because the malicious intent behind her words, I am going to go and attack that man. Now, that is where her freedom of speech does not cover what she said. Because she said something in an attempt to physically hurt someone else. That is the only time that your freedom of speech is infringed upon. So yelling fire in a crowded room or in a movie theater does not fall under that because you are not trying to hurt anybody. You might think that you see an actual fire. You are not intending to hurt anybody. Therefore, your freedom of speech cannot be infringed. And him also talking about that no amendment is absolute. If that's the case, then why would they need to get rid of the Second Amendment? Why would they need to get rid of the First Amendment? They are absolute. Therefore, that is why they have to get rid of them so that they can take away the other amendments. The only time your freedom of speech can be taken away is if you have done something that imprisons you, in which case your freedom of speech is taken away because of something you did. You have taken away your own freedom of speech. Or, like I said, you say something with malicious intent, which means to cause someone harm. So that's what I wanted to bring up. If you want to listen to Dan Bongino's episode on that,
I'm looking it up right now. Just give me a moment. Uh, it is... It is You've Been Warned, The Second Amendment Under Attack, episode 1496, from the Dan Bongino Show. Yeah, the Dan Bongino Show, from Westwood One Podcast Network. So that's what I wanted to bring up. Um, Oh, I remember what else. I remember what else. Yay, I remember what else. So, something that I wanted to bring up from the Statista article that I completely forgot to mention, but I'm going to bring it up real quick. Let me find it real quick. So, at one point it said, uh, in the wake of multiple mass shootings, critics have sought to look beyond the issues of shooter identification and their influences by focusing on their access to guns. The study mentioned above showed 61% of Americans felt the easy access to firearms was to blame by either a great deal or a fair amount for mass shootings. Gun control takes on a particular significance when the uniquely American phenomenon of school shootings is considered. The annual number of incidents involving firearms at K-12 schools in the U.S. was over 100 in both 2018 and 2019. Conversely, similar incidents in other developed countries exceptionally rare, with only five school shootings in G7 countries other than the U.S. between 2009 and 2018. So it's basically talking about among the... Basically, the grade seven countries, which are in the G7 summit, uh, the other two that uh, shootings or school shootings have taken place in, Canada and France, there have only been, I believe, like one shooting, or there have only there have been limited shootings compared to how many America has apiece, compared to each of them. And I wanted to bring that up because I looked it up because they keep on wanting to blame it on that the phenomenon that we have the second amendment that we are allowed to own guns and that's the that's the point i want to make so you know i looked it up about canada i looked it up about canada i looked it up about france about gun control and they both have very strict gun laws very very strict gun laws and you know what i found that in both canada and france they each have had very severe mass shootings even though they have gun control. Kind of like how we talk about Chicago and Detroit and all over uh, cities in California where they have gun control laws and yet there are still hundreds upon hundreds of shootings whether by handgun, whether by assault weapon, whether by rifle, that they still have a major high amount of gun homicides. Or homicides where a gun is involved, a shooting is involved. So if it is literally about the fact that we are allowed to own guns and that we have so many guns and that we have the ability to basically get a hold of whatever gun we want to, then there shouldn't have been mass shootings in Chicago, in D.C., and other places where there is gun control. And then if you think of it, why do you think when there was the, uh, the bombing in France that it was a bombing with a bomb, not with guns? 
even in London, even though they ha they basically are not allowed to have guns, they have a higher amount of stabbings because people still use knives. People that want to commit evil and harm others will harm others no matter what weapon they use. But like I said, I wanted to bring up that Dan Bongino. I wanted to bring up that part about the G7. I mean, if you don't believe me about the uh, about France and Canada, look it up. Look up France and gun control. Look up Canada and gun control. When I looked up Canada, it brought up, I guess, a, ma a magazine or a newspaper called the Charlie Hebdo, where there was a mass shooting. And at that point, Trudeau basically said that he was going to ban assault rifles. That's interesting, because, you know, in his uh, speech the other day, Biden made the point of talking about how, when he was in the Senate, that they had uh, basically enacted the assault, ban the assault rifle ban. And that it was great. And that it stopped all this from happening. You know? It was from, I think, in the 90s to the, about 2004, I believe. I don't know the exact time, but it was like sometime in the nine, uh, like early 90s to about like the early 2000s. You know, a major school shooting that took place in 99? In Boulder, Colorado? Which was supposed to be the time that there was an assault rifle ban in the country? Columbine. And you know, I'm pretty sure there... That they were using, if I'm correct, an assault-style rifle, as I like to call them. Columbine took place. The most notorious school shooting before Sandy Hook and the other ones. Basically, you could say the school shooting that started the school shooting era took place in 99, in the midst of the assault rifle ban. And you know, I could be completely wrong about them using an assault-style rifle. I know that they used, if I remember correctly, they used a shotgun. That much I remember. But still, the most prolific school shooting took place in Boulder, Colorado in 99. So if it was so great, why did Columbine happen? If it did so much, how come the amount of AR-15s doubled after the assault the AR uh, after the assault rifle ban ended? There were less AR-15s before the assault rifle ban, it ended, and it's as if people thought it could happen again. They went out and they bought AR-15s. So, an assault rifle ban doesn't work. Just like gun control doesn't work. Because all that'll happen is that the prices for the weapons goes up on the black market. And people that really want those guns are going to be willing to pay the black market price to get them. Just like with the drugs. The illegal drugs sell on the black market for a lot of money. And they make the cartels a lot of money because they're illegal. Even if you legalize them, it doesn't do much. But that is a completely different podcast that I will make at some other point. Once again, this is the American Idiot signing out. Y'all have a good day.